You are tuned into another edition of Locked On Royals on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jack Johnson. We've got plenty to get into today, and we're going to start it off with this 2018 draft class. Is this really the end? Who really is still a future fit from that draft class? We'll open that up with the show today. Then we're going to talk about John Sherman's open letter to the public. I'm going to tell you why I'm not overreacting to it too much. And lastly, I want to talk about a young prospect that is really making waves at the low minor league levels, and that's Emmanuel Reyes. All that is coming up next on Locked on Royals. You are Locked on Royals, your daily Kansas City Royals podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Lockdown Royals your first listen every day. And a reminder that you can check us out on all those podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music. You can also check us out on YouTube. Just be sure to hit that follow button and subscribe. And we want to give a shout out to today's title sponsor in game time. Anytime that you are struggling with tickets, this is the app you want to go to. It's really easy. The Royals are going to be in town this weekend against the Minnesota Twins. So it's your perfect chance to check out the Game Time app and get your tickets there. You'll never have to stress about buying tickets last minute. Whether you're going by yourself with a group of people, Game Time is what you're going to need to use. Earlier today, we got some word that Daniel Lynch suffered a setback in his bullpen session, and now it's going to put him out a little bit longer than expected. And, of course, later on this weekend, we're going to see Brady Singer take the bump. Who knows the next time we'll see Jackson Coart at the big league level. Chris Bubich, of course, is out for the year after having Tommy John surgery. John Heasley's in the bullpen for the Royals. Now, Kyle Isbell is struggling to be productive offensively despite being a really good defensive outfielder. But at the end of the day, I took a step back and said, this 2018 draft class really is just one that turned on its head. It completely flipped the expectations that were set for this class, completely fell through. And I think I'm more so curious than anything from the listener's perspective, from the fans' perspective, of how they perceived this group and if it was the right move back then, right? Because hindsight's 2020 here. The hindsight is 2020 with this class. Obviously, in the end, they didn't pump out a bunch of high end all stars. They're just a bunch of guys who made. Bad major league teams. And back then, in 2018, I remember sitting in my basement at the time and, and watching the draft and following along on the draft and seeing Brady Singer get selected. And then I see guys like Jackson Coar and Daniel Lynch and Chris Bubich. And it's just a giant you know, group, a giant basket of college arms. And at the time... I thought it was heavily praised what the Royals were doing. No, they were still only one year removed from winning 80 games. Now, this was definitely the year one of the rebuild, but it was important for them to hit on this draft class. They needed to right the wrongs from the last couple of years and get some serious major league talent. And I thought Brady Singer was a guy that could be a front-end starter. I thought Jackson Kowar had tremendous upside. I thought Daniel Lynch was going to be the best of the bunch. 
Now, five years later, I look at this group and I think, man, maybe in the end, they were just guys on bad major league teams. In the end, maybe none of them were going to be future fits. And I promise you, I'm not trying to give up on Daniel Lynch, but Daniel Lynch was hurt to begin the year. He's now hurt again. Who knows the next time he pitches? And he's 26 years old. Right, Brady Singer in year four, is it 2020, 2021, 22, 23? Year four of his big league career, the third full season for him, he's regressed. All right, Chris Bubich was looking great. Then he has Tommy John surgery. Jackson Coar just could never find him. And that's the, the big unfortunate part of this all, is that back in 2018, I at least remember that being dubbed the savior class. This was going to be the group of arms that came up together. They were going to be the young crop of guys, top 100 guys, and the Royals were going to have that rotation, right? Like, like the New York Mets had in 2015 with DeGrom, with Harvey, with Cindergaard, with Mats, just young guys that were going to be a mainstay in the rotation for five years. And then we see Brady Singer, come to Kansas City in 2020. Then there's Chris Bubich. Year later, there's Daniel Lynch. There's Jackson Coar. And you're thinking to yourself, man, this is really good. A bunch of these guys are, are breaking through to the big leagues, and even some of them are pitching pretty well. I thought that COVID year, Brady Singer looked like a guy that could be a long-term fit. Chris Bubich, I thought for the most part, could be a number four, number five. But what I could always fall back on was that they were young. Whenever they struggled, I used the crutch of, well, they're young. They're going to figure it out. And back then, I don't think I realized that they weren't as young as I thought they were. Now, they were college arms. They were pretty seasoned. Their ceiling had pretty much been met. And now looking back, what the Royals could have done, and maybe they didn't trust the scouting department, maybe they didn't trust the player development, they could have said, we are a lot further away than contention than we really think. And instead of trying to fast track this, instead of trying to speed this up, we're going to play the long game. We're going to draft those prep kids. And then by 2021, 22, you got a bunch of these 21 and 22 year olds that have five, six years of club control. Those are young guys. It's why I can live with Bobby Wood Jr. struggles. It's why I could live with Melendez struggles, with Nick Prado struggles, with, no, even Vinny Pasquantino, who was pretty young for how quickly he made it up to the big league level. But the pitchers, no longer. They're not that young core anymore. They're just not. You can't be 26 years old and, and having those inconsistencies. So has the 2018 draft class officially died? No. Okay, let's not you know be at this point where it's just dead and gone. They're no longer going to be big league starters. There still is hope that next year, the year after that, something is unlocked in them. I still think Brady Singer is experiencing a fluke year because he was so good last year. That, that's that's what I want to look to. He was so good last year, and I get that the stubbornness of not throwing the third pitch has hurt him, but the talent's there. As for the rest, I can't say I've seen a big league starter. Not Daniel Lynch, not Chris Bubich, not Jackson Coar, not John Heasley. Jonathan Bolin hasn't gotten up at the big league level. Austin Cox has, but he's not a big league starter. That is concerning because those were a lot of first round picks, a lot of second round picks. 
And these guys were supposed to be a part of the rotation, but not just be a part of the rotation. That's the 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 one thing I that we always get caught up in with prospects, right? We think that success is just getting to the big leagues. And that is a tremendous accomplishment. You get to the big leagues, that in its own is an unbelievable accomplishment, an individual one. It's not easy to get to the big leagues. You have to go through a lot of levels and succeed. You need a lot of things to, to really just fall in your favor. You have to get lucky. But it's not just about making the team. Now for these guys being first-round picks, it's about succeeding. Uh, Brady Singer based off what he was thought to be and debuting in 2020 should already have an all-star appearance under his belt. Now that alone should have been the, the goal. Either Brady Singer, Chris Bubich, Daniel Lynch, or Jackson Coar had to go to an all-star game. And right now, one of them could be a future number three or number four on a middle of the pack team. That's where we're at. There's just not enough there. Now, the hope is that in 2019, 2020, 21, 22, and now this 2023 class, it's more so about we know where we're at. That's why I'm not too caught up by the wins and losses, because if you can admit where you're at in this rebuild, and the Royals have, they know they're far off, then you can really start to develop guys the way you want to. I thought they rushed these kids, and they're not really kids anymore, but they rushed a lot of them. They, they rushed them at the big league level because they thought by 2021, they were ready to go. This team was ready to compete. It's why they traded for Benintendi. It's why they signed Santana. It's why they signed Mike Miner, because they wanted to help the young guys be on a competitive team. They felt their roster was set. They weren't there. They just weren't there. And now with Daniel Lynch, as much of an upside as I thought he had, he at this point is just a let's hope and pray that he turns into something. It's not a situation where you look at Daniel Lynch and go, we're building our rotation around Daniel Lynch. I'm not going into spring training next year, filling out the rotation card and going, Daniel Lynch is one of them. He performs well, he'll get in it. If he's going into spring training and he's banged up, he's not on the list. Right? I think Brady Singer is the only guy because of lack of depth I'm penciling in. Nobody else in that 2018 draft class I would pencil in in the starting rotation. I'd like to give Chris Bubich another chance. He's got to prove he's the same pitcher that he was before the Tommy John surgery. That's kind of where I'm at now. I can't keep placing these guys year after year in my future roster predictions. I just can't. The talent's there, but the results aren't. And that's why I feel like we are coming to the end of that 2018 class. Unless somebody just shocks the world, surprises everybody in the coaching, it completely transforms them, you're looking at a pretty mediocre draft class. They made it to Kansas City, but what do they have to show for? And that's really what the news today of Daniel Lynch suffering another setback with his bullpen. He's going to be out a lot longer than we expected. All right, don't go anywhere because we need to go over John Sherman's open letter to the fans about this downtown ballpark. We now know when a site is going to be picked. We know when we're going to see a rendering. But a lot of people are still really upset. And I'm going to give you my thoughts and why I'm not too up in arms about it. That's coming up next on Locked On Royals. You are tuned into Locked On Royals on the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, I am your host, Jack Johnson. You can follow me on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. That's at J-O-H-N-Y-J underscore 15. Before... We go any further, we're going to give a shout out to today's title sponsor in game time. 
The Royals are going to be back at Kauffman Stadium this weekend against the Minnesota Twins. So this is where you need to go to to get your tickets for the game. I use it all the time. It's so simple to use. You never have to worry about buying tickets last minute. If you're going to uh, tailgate, if you're going to tailgate and just enjoying some beers, you're enjoying some hot dogs, some hamburgers out there, and you're still waiting to buy tickets, just go to game time. It is so easy to use. There's no stress. You're going by yourself. You're going with three to four people. Uh, this is what you need to do because it's such a good and effective app. It's not complicated at all. So I'm going to be the one to tell you to go out there and use game time. Now, here's what you need to do. You need to download the game time app after you watch this podcast, create an account and use locked on MLB for $20 off on your first purchase. The terms apply. Now, again, create that account, redeem the code locked on MLB for $20 off. So download game time today with last minute tickets at the lowest price guaranteed. John Sherman, once again, had the chance to publicly address all of those out there, all the fans wanting to know what's next, right? What's next for this team? Are they going to play at Kauffman Stadium much longer? When are they going to move downtown? Where's the site? But no matter what John Sherman says, there's going to be a lot of outrage. Uh, there's going to be a lot of anger towards a billionaire owner, right? There's, there always is, right? Owners are usually a afterthought, I think, when you look at the on-field product. First, you go to the players themselves, right? If you don't like a player, they're struggling. I mean, take Hunter Dozier, for example, this year. A lot of the blames put on Hunter Dozier or Jordan Lyles. Then when you get tired of blaming the players, you blame the manager. Okay, then you go, well, why is Matt Quattrero setting the lineup this way? Why is he pulling this guy? Why is he not going to go in the bullpen in this spot? And then after you get tired of blaming Matt Quattrero, you go to J.J. Piccolo. And you say, well, he's got no talent on this roster. How did we not assemble a rotation? How did we not assemble a bullpen? Uh, you spend money on a guy like Jordan Lyles on Zach Greinke, and they've combined for three wins this year. You know, all of that combined, you start blaming that group of people. But the owner still gets that blame because he's at the very top. So it's kind of like a domino effect. You blame the player, then you blame the manager, then you blame the, the president of baseball operations or the general manager, then you blame the owner. It's just a trickle-down effect. Well, the player stinks, then I got to blame the manager for putting him in that spot. And I can't blame the manager, so I'm going to blame the general manager for either hiring that guy or not giving the guy enough talent. Then I'm going to blame the owner because the owner didn't give the general manager enough money to work with on that team. It's, it's all intertwined here. And when you're this bad record-wise, you have 29 wins and we're nearly to August, right? A lot of the anger has been shifted. It's been shifted away from the players, away from Matt Quattrero, away from J.J. Piccolo, and it's on John Sherman because John Sherman bought this team. And I think everybody's anticipations, their expectations were that he was going to spend. He was going to change the outlook in Kansas City by opening his wallet, giving J.J. Piccolo or Dayton Moore at the time more money so that they could invest in this team and make them competitive. Now, in 2021, this team was pretty competitive for a five-year stretch that they've been in. Now, they won 75 games. It wasn't pretty, but they were much better than where they're at right now. They were competitive for much longer than they were this season. But when you're losing at this rate, and there was no money put into this team, aside from a Jordan Lyles signing, I can understand why fans are very frustrated and don't want to hear about a downtown ballpark. But at the end of the day, 
we knew this announcement was coming. All right. There is no, you know, definitive hard line as to when he was going to announce it, but it was going to happen this year because people still have questions, right? Where's the stadium going to be? What's it going to look like? And now we got from the open letter that John Sherman believes there's going to be renderings in the next 30 days and a site will be picked by the end of September. So the end of the season, we will know where the site is for a new downtown ballpark. The reason I'm not too up in arms about the open letter today, and I saw a lot of people on Twitter outraged over it. They they don't like John Sherman. Uh, they want John Sherman to sell the team. You have people talking about leaving the fan base. Everybody's entitled to their own feelings and their own opinions. The reason I'm not too up in arms about this is that we just heard John Sherman talk, and I didn't hear much different. This is pretty much what he said a month ago it was. So I'm not going to act surprised. I'm not going to act shocked because John Sherman is just carrying out what he said at the press conference, right? He said that in a couple of weeks, they were going to have a site picked and wanted to give more clarity. Again, you can have your differing opinions about John Sherman, right? I have my frustrations. I have my frustrations that an owner buys a team, says he's going to spend, and you haven't spent, right? I understand it's an evaluation year. I understand that uh, you need to see what you have in certain guys, but when you lose the most you ever have in franchise history, when you're barreling towards 115, 120 losses, you do need to have some accountability. And whether that means making front office moves, whether that means making scouting moves, player development moves, coaching moves, you have to send a little bit of a message. Now, I think he sent a message when he fired Dayton Moore. And for those out there that want to fire Quatrero and and fire J.J. Piccolo, it shows no, no path. It shows no goal if you just fire a group one year in to their tenure. Also think about the message that sends to other people that would be applying for this job. If they're going after a managerial opening in Kansas City or a GM spot in Kansas City, you get one year. And what if John Sherman doesn't give you any money? Okay, what if they bury you? And your baseball career, right? Think about think about Matt Quattrero here. He's probably waited his entire life for a shot like this. He comes over to Kansas City and they say, hey, we like you. You're going to be our guy. But here's the catch. That's going to be really ugly your first year. And no matter what you do, you're going to face a lot of criticism. We're all going to face criticism. But we believe in this path. We believe in the trajectory of our team. And we're going to get back to a competitive level. You fire him after one year. That just goes to show you there was never a plan in place. And that also goes to show you that there's no trust in you. There's no backing. There's no faith. And if John Sherman decides this offseason that I'm not going to spend, then I'm sitting there as Matt Quattrero and going, okay, so what was your goal for me? Right? I can't win baseball games with this current group. Right? John Sherman, to me, can win back the fan base with a very aggressive offseason. How aggressive? I mean, I can't give you a number. I don't, I don't know the, the type of payroll I'm looking at here. But if you are openly aggressive, you're making trades, you're trying to improve the major league roster while continuing to develop at the minor league level, I think you're going to earn back a lot of the trust. And here's the thing, too. They do need to have an aggressive offseason to earn the trust for fans voting yes or no on a downtown stadium. Right? They need that. But again, today, I wasn't too shocked about what was said. I wasn't blown away by what was said. What he said was exactly what he was going back on in his in his you know speech to the media 
when he was at the Royals Hall of Fame. That was about a month ago. You just go back to then, listen to what he had to say over that hour and 15-minute period. He's just carrying out. I want to see the renderings. I want to see what it looks like. I want to see what site is picked. But again, I think a lot of people out there, they're, they're not caring about a downtown ballpark. They're caring about a competitive team on the field. Now, last thing I want to say on this is I see people on Twitter from time to time go, well, why do you move downtown if the team's terrible? The reality is we're still a couple of years away before that move would happen. And who knows what the team's going to look like then? They're not moving next month. Okay, they're not going to just uproot this team and take a 29 and 73 team and go put them in a downtown stadium. No, and I think John Sherman and this front office understand that you move downtown, you got to have a team that's worth respecting down there if you still want to fill the seats. Right. I understand people don't want to pay for a downtown stadium or pay money for a team right now. It's losing this much. But again, it, it takes time and they're not just going to throw a bad team into a downtown ballpark. But I get it, too. I'm not criticizing people for their disdain or their frustration with John Sherman. Hey, you're an owner. You have a lot of money and this team has no money put into it. You better start backing up what you said you were going to do and spend some money. Make this team competitive because you can't run out a 115 loss team and then not do anything in the offseason. And I do expect them to do something offseason. What they add, what they trade, what firings, what hirings they make. Again, I don't have the inside information. I'm simply just making my best judgment with this case. Before we wrap up this show, I want to give a quick nod and some appreciation to a guy that has been dealing in the Dominican Summer League and Surprise Arizona and now has gotten the bump to low A, and he is absolutely somebody to keep your eye on. And that's Emmanuel Reyes, an 18-year-old pitcher who's now made the bump to the low A level in Columbia for the Kansas City Royals. I'm going to talk about that next on Locked On Royals. You are tuned into Locked On Royals on the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, I'm your host, Jack Johnson. You can follow me on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. That's at J-O-H-N-Y-J underscore 15. You can check out Locked On Royals on all those podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and YouTube. Just be sure to hit that follow button and subscribe. And you have any questions, you have any opinions, you can comment on our YouTube page, or you can just shoot me questions at my Twitter handle. Again, that's at JohnnyJ underscore 15, one N in the Twitter handle. I wanted to give a nod to a guy that's been thriving all year long, the year before, and you probably don't know enough about yet. Now, before I went to break, I said 18-year-old. He's actually 19-year-old. I believe he just turned 19, but he has now made the trek to low A Columbia, and that's Emmanuel Reyes, a right-handed pitcher that the Royals signed a few years back. And in fact, I believe it was just last year. Yeah, it was June 3rd, 2022, when the Royals signed Emmanuel Reyes to a minor league contract. He's already at low A Columbia, and in his career, his stats are 1.88 with his ERA. He's made 14 starts, 81 in the third innings pitch. He has 87 strikeouts, a whip well below one at 0.87. Now, this year, pitching in the, the surprise league with the, the surprise Royals, he made three starts, eight total games, 32 innings pitched, struck out over nine guys per nine, had a whip still below the league average at 1.19. And he is a kid that I don't think there's been enough talk about. If there is one guy that's been on it from the beginning, that's Preston Farr on Twitter, uh, one of my good friends there. You can follow him on Twitter at Royals Miners. He's done great coverage, not just with Emmanuel Reyes, 
with a lot of guys out there in the Royals minor leagues, but he is somebody I am really starting to get excited about. It's a long ways to go. He's 19 years old and it's low A, right? He's dominating at a level where he could just be a little bit older than those guys. The Dominican Summer League team, those are anywhere from 16 to 18 year old guys. And as I just mentioned, he's 19, right? You're still pitching the surprise Royals. Uh, you're going to be running into guys pretty much around your same level. You get to low A, now you got to show that you can make that transition. Now, the Royals have had guys before that have shined before coming over to the States, before pitching at the low A level, and then they never find it. I think there's a little bit of a difference in Emmanuel Reyes. I really do like the stuff. There's been grainy footage out there and bad angles with cameras on trying to get highlights of him. But this is very encouraging, especially since he was signed last year. Now, of course, he wasn't a 16- or 17-year-old kid, but the Royals have quietly started to assemble a good group of international players that they've added over the last one to two years. And Emmanuel Reyes may be at the top of that group in terms of pitching potential. It's been a long time since the Royals had signed somebody internationally, moved him through the system, and were a big-time star for the Major League team. Jordano Ventura is the only one that comes to mind. Carlos Hernandez, I don't want to overreact to have recency bias about what he's done this year. You know, he was an international signing out of Venezuela. He was a lot older, though, too. Now, I want to say that he was around 19, 20, 21 as well. But Emmanuel Reyes, if he can make that jump to high A by the beginning of next year, I'm really starting to have hope that you can see him a lot sooner than later. Right? You could see Emmanuel Reyes maybe in Kansas City by oh, 2026, 2027. You get him to Kansas City by the time he's 22 or 23, I'm really liking my chances. But take your time with him. Take your time developing. There's no rush. That's the beauty of this. That's why there's no rush in promoting the, the Frank Mozicados, the Ben Kudernas, and the Emmanuel Reyes's. You know, there's no rush to it whatsoever. Luinder Avila, another guy that I don't think there needs to be, you know, a, a fast track to big leagues. We opened up our show talking about how fast-tracking guys that maybe aren't ready, didn't get enough development, isn't the way to go about it. The Royals know where they're at in this rebuild, and you can take your time. If he struggles in low A, you can keep him in low A. If it takes him a little bit longer to get to high, it takes him a little bit longer. The goal is to make them the best possible pitcher when they make that jump from AAA Omaha to the big leagues in Kansas City. That's where I'm at with this. And Emmanuel Reyes really is a kid that I want to buy stock in. I really do. I think that he can have the stuff that can turn into you know, high velocity, good secondary, good third pitch. And if the Royals minor league development wants a win, they want to really improve this farm system. Sometimes, folks, it's not just through the draft, right? You hit on one or two of your international signings, and I mean really hit on them. It changes. It revolutionizes your farm system. If Emmanuel Reyes... In two years, the top five prospect for the Royals, that's saying something because the Royals have not pumped out a lot of international talent over the last five to six years. They do it with Reyes. They do it with the guys behind him. I'm feeling a lot differently about the state of this farm system. All right, that is going to do it for another edition of Locked On Royals on the Locked On Podcast Network. I've been your host, Jack Johnson. You can always follow me on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. And don't forget to subscribe on YouTube. Had a ton of new subscribers over the last week or so, so you be the next person to do that. 
Tomorrow, we're going to talk a little bit more about tonight's game that is happening in Cleveland. And we're probably going to look ahead a little bit as to who can replace Daniel Lynch. But until next time, you take it easy, Kansas City.